0: The following is a teaching from Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this teaching. Go ahead, grab your Bibles as you're doing that. Let me just mention a couple of things to you as we get started this weekend. Number one, first Wednesday. Everybody say, first Wednesday. That's the first Wednesday of every month. And this coming first Wednesday, obviously this Wednesday evening at 7.15, both at our, our excuse me, I should say all three campuses here at Gaithersburg, Frederick, and Clarksburg, First Wednesday Services. So we really encourage you to be a part of it. It's a great time once a month to come out and worship with your church family. If you're in a life group, I encourage you to bring all your life group members out and you guys sit together be a part of the service together. It's just a great time uh, to worship. So again, First Wednesday. Also, really, really want to encourage you uh, to help us this year with our Thanksgiving outreach. I just want to, first of all, applaud you for last year. We fed uh, somewhere between 1900 and 2,000 families last year. That's families, not just individuals. So just multiply that by maybe an average of three to a family, and you can just imagine how many people received a meal last year because of the care of Church of the Redeemer. So across all of our campuses, we want to do more than that this year. Amen. Okay. We don't want to do what we did last year, right? Oh, you're underwhelming. Okay. We don't want to do what we did last year, right? We want to go to the next level. Amen. And so we're going encourage you to give faithfully to this as a special offering and above your regular tithes and offerings. And all of this that we receive goes directly to taking care of families that are in need uh, over the Thanksgiving season. Of course, we'll be doing some things for Christmas as well. So let me encourage you to be a part of that. It's nothing like giving and extending yourself for the care of others. It really, really brings joy to your own heart. We're in 1 Samuel chapters 2, 3, and 4 today. I'm continuing a series of messages called The Power of Personal Choices. And we're looking today at a particular choice, a very important choice in your life to do your duty, the choice to do your duty. Choices are a part of life. You make choices every day. Some choices are very insignificant. I'm going to wear a blue shirt or a white shirt. Not really a big deal, but other choices are very significant. They actually set the course of your destiny. If you don't make choices well, you don't think about the big choices in the right manner and make them uh, the right way with prudence, with wisdom, what happens is you actually begin to destroy your life. Decisions can destroy your life. Many of you can look back over a decision you made years ago and you can say, boy, if I could do that over again, I would make a different decision. I would redo that. It would be different. My life would be different because of just one decision that I made, one bad decision or one good decision, the power of of personal choices, and in this series, we're looking at some of the most important choices of life uh, that we're focusing upon. We're looking at a man in the Old Testament by the name of Samuel. Samuel was a prophet and a priest. Samuel, as a prophet and a priest, lived during a very important time in Israel's history—the time between no king, no leadership in Israel, to the time that the first king of Israel is going to be appointed. And Samuel is going to be that that transitional prophet and priest that will move Israel from a time of anarchy to a time of beginning to be strong. Structured by a monarchy, by a kingdom, and a kingdom rule. So Samuel's very important. Today, we're looking at chapters 2, 3, and 4, but I'm not going to take the time to read all of chapters 2, 3, and 4 because that would take us quite a bit of time to read them, to read these chapters today. But I would encourage you to write those verses down on your notes and go home this week and make sure that you read these verses, these passages, because it really sets the stage for what I'm talking about today doing your duty. Let me give you a little bit of the history. And really, I'm going to talk you through chapters 2, 3, and 4, and you can go back and read it. On your own. I'm going to tell you the story, and you can read about it for yourself by taking time with your Bible and doing so. As I said, Samuel comes on the scene in a time of very significant spiritual problems in Israel. Here's what's going on Israel did not have a king, no one was in charge, and so everybody, the Bible said, did what was right in their own eyes. So everybody's kind of anarchy. There was a priest that lived during this period of time by the name of Eli. And Eli served the Lord at a place called Shiloh. Shiloh was the place of worship for Israel. Jerusalem had not yet been established as the place of worship. Shiloh was the place where the priest would minister and where the tabernacle of God existed, where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so everybody, at least annually, those that wanted to do so, those that had any kind of inclination to worship God would go to Shiloh to worship there. And Eli was the priest, the main priest at Shiloh. And he had two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and they were priests as well with him. The Bible says there was a man during this time by the name of Elkanah. Elkanah was a man that loved God. Year after year, the Bible said he would go to Shiloh to worship God. He was married to a lady by the name of Hannah, and Hannah was a wonderful lady as well. Elkanah loved her dearly, but Hannah could not have children. She was barren, and so this was a pressure upon her soul. It was a burden upon her life, and so as she would go to the tabernacle of God every year, she would spend time crying out to God for an answer, crying out to God to give her a son, and one year, as we read about in first samuel chapter one she comes to shiloh and she's crying out to god but she takes it to an entirely different dimension she says god if you will give me a son here's what i will do she prayed a prayer most likely she had never prayed before i will give him back to you it was a point of surrender that that hannah had never come to in her life god if you will give me a son i will give him back to you the priest eli blessed her she went away And indeed, she conceived and she had a son. And after her son was born, they named him Samuel. It means ask of God or this child is an answer to prayer. God answered my prayer, ask of God. So Samuel was his name. As Samuel began to grow, as he was weaned from nursing from his mom, his mom made the decision to do what she would promised God she would do. She brought him back to the tabernacle. And presented little Samuel, think about this little boy, presented Samuel to Eli the priest and said, I promised that I would give this boy back to God. If God would give me a son, that son would belong to him. He would be raised in the house of God. So she turned the raising of her child up to, over to Eli and the atmosphere of the presence of God. To be taught the word of God and to live in the atmosphere of the presence of God. It was a great story, amazing story. By the way, God blessed Hannah as a part of that, and gave her three sons and two daughters after this. And so God, you can never outgive God, amen? When you give something back to God, God always blesses you in some way in your life. And that's exactly what happened here. But I want you now to just focus with me for a moment on the atmosphere in which little Eli was raised. We talked a little bit, excuse me, little Samuel was raised. We talked a little bit about this last week. Eli was an older man. His two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests serving with him at Shiloh. Hophni and Phineas, as we read last week, the Bible has a word to describe them. Anybody remember what the word was? They were scoundrels. You were listening last week. That's awesome, okay? They were scoundrels. Now, when the Bible says you're a scoundrel, you're like really a scoundrel. You're bad, okay, really bad. And so God said these two boys, these two sons, they were not boys. They were actually young men at this time. They were married. And these two young men, Hophni and Phinehas, here's what they would do. Because they were scoundrels. This, is the, this was the, 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 the sins they were committing. They would steal from God's offerings that were brought into the house of God. And they were sleeping with ladies that would come to worship. there. Think about this. They were seducing these women. And so here was Eli the priest... He was not so much in tune with God himself. He was kind of out of tune. He was not really into the word. In fact, the Bible says of the priesthood of Eli, the word of the Lord was rare during his day. So Eli was not a very strong spiritual man himself, but at least he was not doing these things. But Hophni and Phinehas were doing horrible things at the place of worship, where it should have been a place of holiness and righteousness and, and good works and good deeds and care and compassion. They were stealing and they were committing adultery. They were scoundrels. And while God will hold them to account for their lack of righteousness, God also goes to Eli and says, Eli, you know the problem with your boys? The problem with your son is not just their problem. It's also your problem because you as a father have failed. You have neglected. Everybody say neglected. That's a key word today. You have neglected to discipline them. You knew what they were doing. And you didn't step in and stop them. You knew how evil they were. And you never spoke against them. You never addressed the issues in their life. And because you were unwilling to discipline them, here's the deal. You're going to lose your rule, your reign. You're not going to be, if you will, the prophet, the priest any longer. I'm going to remove that responsibility from you. And you're going to die. And your sons are going to die. Think about that for a moment because you've let this go on year after year, and you've not dealt with it, you have failed, you have neglected your duty, you have not done what you should have done as a father, you have not done what you should have done as a priest, then now you're going to suffer the consequences of your neglect. You're going to to suffer the consequences of not doing your duty. Not doing your duty. Well, as the story unfolds, as you'll read about in 2 Samuel chapters 3 and 4, the Philistines come against Israel... And there's a great battle that happens, and the uh, Philistines are overcoming the Israelites. The Israelites, so we well, you know what we've got to do. We've got to get some help here. Let's take the Ark of the Covenant into battle with us. Maybe if we take God's presence into the battle with us, we will win. So they got all excited because the Ark was going in to the uh, to the to the battle with them, which was a horrible mistake for them to make. And they go into the battle thinking that's going to be their victory. The Philistines hear them cheering because of the Ark of the Covenant and they get riled up even further and in their, their sense of strength and, and, and commitment to overcome the Israelites, they destroyed them and on the battlefield that day, Hophni and Phinehas died. The Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines and the news came back to Eli and he fell over and died. The end of the story of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas Three people that failed to do their duty and it cost them greatly. What I want to talk to you about today is I'm going to talk to you about one of the major decisions you will make all throughout your life. It's not a one-time decision. It's a decision that you and I need to make consistently through our life. And that's decision, the decision to always do our duty. Don't neglect things that you have responsibility for in your life. That was the problem with So Can I share with you today four things that will help you to understand this principle, hopefully biblically, and how to apply it more effectively in your life. Let's talk about neglect and doing duty. What's the difference between these two things? Number one, the first point I want to share with you today is that neglect, the choice to neglect things you should be engaging in, really is what I would call a passive decision. It's a passive decision. Neglect is something you make a choice about in regard to things that you're responsible for. You don't, you don't neglect something you're not responsible for. You neglect something you have a responsibility to have duty and care over. In other words, there are things in life that are your business, and there are things in life that are none of your business, right? Right? And so God says, I want to draw your attention. See, most of us spend a lot of our time and energy on the things that are other folks' business. But God says, I want to draw your attention back to the things that represent your business. And I want to ask you a question. Are you neglecting the things that you are uniquely responsible for in your life? Because neglect involves things you have responsibility for. Neglect is a decision to do nothing or to do little with things that you have responsibility over. It's a passive decision. Because when you choose to do nothing, you're making a choice, aren't you? When you choose to do nothing with the responsibility that's been given. Like Eli, he was given the responsibility to discipline his sons, but he did nothing. He made a choice, but it was a passive choice, and neglect is a passive decision in your life. One of the most common enemies that will rob your possibility and potential in life is not so much always what you do that's wrong, but what you fail to do that is right. A lot of people suffer significantly in life because it's not just what they do wrong, It's what they fail to do that is right, things that they neglect. I thought I would give you some characteristics of a passive person because it's something that we all need to be aware of. And I'll share with you five uh, characteristics of passivity and people. Why don't you read them together with me? A passive person, first of all, is selectively inattentive. They choose what they're willing to give attention to. And oftentimes they give attention to things that really aren't that important and they fail to give attention to things that are. And so passivity involves selectivity in your attention. Second of all, a passive person is selectively unengaged. I'm just not going to engage. A passive father chooses not to engage with his kids. A passive mother chooses not to engage with their children. A passive employee chooses not to engage with the responsibility. And so it is selectively. It's not over the entire part of your life, but you select, selectively say, I'm not going to give attention to this, nor will I be engaged here. Thirdly, a passive person is selectively Resign. That's taking it to another level. They give up on the inside. I believe that's probably what happened to Eli. Somewhere along the line, Eli said, I can't do anything with these boys. I give up. And there are a lot of people that just give up on life and give up on their duties because sometimes responsibilities, sometimes duties are hard, aren't they? They're not always fun. They're not always easy to do. And so it's easy to resign. I will tell you something. You always resign on the inside before you resign on the outside. And when you resign on the inside, you're actually... You're, you're pounding in a death nail to responsibilities in your life. And many people are living life. They're doing stuff outwardly, but they've given up inwardly. That's passivity. Number four, a passive person lacks energy. They're not energized. There's no energy to what they bring to their responsibilities. They're not excited or enthusiastic about what they're doing. They've fallen back into this resignation, lacking energy. And then finally, the passive person lacks What? Will and desire. They just don't have the will to do what they need to do. And they don't have the desire to do what they need to do related to responsibilities. All these phrases I've just given you describe Eli. And sadly, sometimes they actually describe us. So remember this. When you neglect things you have responsibility for, you're making a decision. You may not think you are, but you're actually making a decision because neglect is a passive decision. Second of all, neglect is a deceptive decision. When we neglect things that we have responsibility for, we, we deceptively believe that our neglect doesn't matter. We convince ourselves, well, it's not really that big of a deal. I'm sure there were times that Eli would have said to himself, well, you know, I know my sons are bad, but it's not really that big of a deal. I know it's, it's all on them. He did not realize that he's going to suffer for it himself, and they're going to suffer also. And we have to realize that neglect matters. Neglect does matter. It matters in every realm of your life. Neglect matters in your relationship with God. Neglect matters in your relationships with people. Neglect matters in your responsibilities in life. Neglect does matter, but neglect will try to deceive you and say it really doesn't matter you know if i don't really love god right now if i leave god out of my life things are going to still be okay if i just neglect god for this season of my life it's not going to be a problem what kind of thinking is that it's deceptive because if you leave god out of your life is it a problem yes but in our, our own little minds we say you know what if i leave god it's not not that big of a deal i'll get a, i'll catch up with him later we deceive ourselves on the importance where we might say something like this. You know, I can neglect my marriage right now. and It's, it's really, everything will eventually work out. You no, know, if you neglect problems in your marriage, are they going to go away by neglect? No. You've deceived yourself, and so that's the issue of neglect. We deceive ourselves in thinking. Another one, if I neglect my, my health, no big deal. I'll catch up with it later. I'll be okay. And there are a lot of people that go through their entire life neglecting their health. They never do anything to help attend to health issues or physical issues. And so because of that, they end up suffering. See, neglect really does matter. Neglect is has impact. Some folks say, you know, I can neglect my job, my responsibilities no big deal. They deceive themselves. Does it matter? Yes. Eventually over time, you'll suffer because of it. And part of what what actually reinforces this deception that you can neglect without consequences is the fact that generally the consequences of neglect don't happen immediately. They happen little by little. If you start backing away from your relationship with God, you may not notice it today or tomorrow, or you might not notice it uh, in a week or two, but a year from now, you're going to be in a very different place. And two years from now, you'll be in a very different place than you are right now because the neglect catches up with us over time. It destroys you. Listen to this neglect destroys you little by little, not in one big fell swoop. It destroys you little by little. The third thing, the third thing I want you to see today about doing your duty and the impact of neglect in your life is that the consequences of neglect can be devastating, can be devastating. Neglect has consequences. Let's talk about Eli for a moment. Because Eli neglected his responsibility as a priest and his responsibility as a father, were there consequences? Come on, church, were there consequences? Yeah, what were some of the consequences? Let me just review them for you. Well, first of all, the people of God suffered, didn't they? They suffered because Eli was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. And so we've got this whole nation of Israel that that would suffer spiritually based upon the fact that Eli was not taking charge where he needed to. And there was a moral and spiritual decline that occurred there. There's a second consequence that occurred for Eli. And that was the lives of Hophni and Phinehas. His two sons were cut short. In fact, Hophni and Phinehas lost their lives in the prime of their life because their daddy didn't discipline them. And so is that a consequence? Oh, you better believe it is. Eventually, as you see in the story, Eli even lost his life. Phineas' wife died. And when she, she was pregnant... And she, as she is dying, she gives birth to a little boy and calls him Ichabod. Anybody heard that name before? Ichabod means the glory of God has departed. And so we see in that moment that the glory of God had departed from Israel. All kind of consequences: the Philistines overcome the Israelites, and the Ark of the Covenant was captured by the Philistines. All of these things are terrible things. It can be traced all the way back to one one decision in Eli's life, the decision to neglect his duty, to neglect his responsibilities, to not do what he was supposed to do. Never, never, never underestimate the power and the impact of neglect. Let me bring this kind of to a place of analogy for you. If you have just a few termites that show up in your house foundation, what happens if you neglect them? They have the capacity to multiply. And they multiply fairly quickly. And you see some termites, oh, it's not a big deal. It's just a few termites. Not such a big deal at all. We'll just, we'll get to it next year. Oh, we'll get to it eventually. You know what? I don't have, I can't make that a priority right now. You better make it a priority. Because if you don't make a priority dealing with that little bit of termite, what's going to happen is the bill related to dealing with a few termites is going to explode when it becomes a multitude of termites and all the damage that occurs. That's true in your relationship with God. You let a few termites in your relationship with God, things that eat away at your relationship with Him. Does it matter? Oh, it's not a big deal. Just a few little things in my life right now. Yeah, that does matter. You let some termites get into your marriage. What's going to happen? Well, I'll deal with it later. I don't have the energy to deal with it now. You better deal with it now. Why? Because those termites will eat away. You say, you know what? I know I'm trying to raise these kids, but I don't have the energy to try to teach them the Word of God. I don't have the energy to get them to church. I don't have the energy to do what's necessary for them spiritually. It's not going to matter. I'll get around to that later. Well, you know what's going to happen? The little termites are going to eat away at the character of their lives. And so, do a few little termites matter? You neglect them, and over a period of time, they multiply the consequences of neglect can be very, very devastating. And This brings me to my last point today. Neglect, neglect actually is a failure of faithfulness. Neglect is a passive decision, it's a deceptive decision. The consequences of the neglect, devastating. But what is at the root of neglect? And this, what was God going after? What was God so concerned about in Eli? What God was concerned about, listen closely, because this is the heart of my message today. This is what will turn your life around. This is a decision you can make that will change your life forever. At the root of neglect, at the root of failing to do your duty, is the issue of faithfulness. The problem with Eli is that he was not a faithful father. The problem with Eli is he was not a faithful priest. You say, well, he just neglected some things. What's the big deal? It was a very big deal because it was a character issue in Eli that, that related to not being, what's the word again? Faithful, not being faithful. Now, you and I tend to think of faithfulness as like in really big stuff. You know, there's a situation in a marriage where someone commits adultery. They, they were unfaithful. You know, you can be unfaithful to your spouse in a lot of other ways, Right? See, unfaithfulness is not just in the big things of life. You can be unfaithful in small things. And it happens in various realms of life. And it happens in your relationship with God. You don't don't always just become really big, super sinner one day. And you're unfaithful. But you begin to pull away from God and stop spending time with Him. And stop coming to church and make little choices like that. Little by little, you're actually saying, I'm not being as faithful as I used to be. And so, faithfulness is not, not wrapped up in one big thing Sometimes faithfulness is in the little dimensions of life. Quite often it is. In fact, Jesus said, if you can't be faithful in the little, you won't be faithful in the much. And so faithfulness is measured in every realm of life. How faithful are you? Because the real issue of doing your duty is not just a job I have. It's a faithfulness of my heart to do what God has assigned me to do in life and to attend to things that God has given for me to attend to. So it's the issue of faithfulness. So let me walk you through three final things today that will help us to understand God's perspective of faithfulness and the choice that we need to make regarding it. The first thing I want to remind you of when it comes to faithfulness is that every opportunity and responsibility that you are properly assigned in life is a gift of God. That's the beginning point. You have to understand this. Eli didn't understand this. You and I need to understand this. Every opportunity that you have in your life and every responsibility you have in your life right now, where did it come from? God. James 1.17, read it with me. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. That is, He's not unfaithful. Unfaithful people change. You never know where they're coming from. God doesn't. Who gave you your job if you have a job, who gave you your job? God gave you your job. By the way, you ought to thank God for it instead of grumbling about it every day, right? If, God, if you have a job, thank God. It may, not, it may not be everything you want it to be, but thank God because he's using that to shape you. So who, if you are married, you have a spouse. With that spouse, you have responsibilities. And who gave you that responsibility? When you chose to get married, with marriage came responsibility, Right? So now, who, who's going to hold you accountable for that responsibility? God will, okay? When you have children, you can't just say, oh, I had those kids, but let's just put them in the backyard and see what happens to them, okay? You, you accepted a responsibility. See, with anything you do in life, that gift that came from God, that opportunity that came from God, that responsibility that has been assigned to you, that is from God. God. It is not just from yourself now. God says, now that you have that, this is something that came from me. And this is why it's so important. Eli didn't get this. He didn't understand that he was going to have to give an account to God for what he was doing with what had been given to him as a priest and what had been given to him as a father. He failed to understand that was a gift from God that required him to stand before God and give an account for how he utilized it. So it must be understood. That everything you have in your life right now, every good gift that came from God, every opportunity and responsibility is something that you embrace and say, thank you, God, for I accept this as what you have given to me in my life. The second thing to understand is that with every gift of God comes, what are the words there? Management requirements. Come on, say it with me. Management requirements. This is very important to understand as well. Before I talk about this, let me take you to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. When God created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, this is what He said to them. Now, you got this. You got the picture here? God's got Adam and Eve, puts them in the Garden, and God says, here's what I want to say to you. You're in this perfect Garden of Eden. Here's my charge to you. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air or the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. I want you to please note there's a lot of things I could talk about here in this verse but please circle that phrase rule over. God said I've given you a perfect environment I've given you the opportunity to to feed yourself and care for yourself. This is the garden of Eden a perfect place but it's not going to stay perfect unless you rule over it. You got it? So with the gift came what? Responsibility. With the gift came management. You've got to manage this garden. This is your garden. Yes, it's a gift from God, but you've got to manage it. You've got to get your hands around this thing and you've got to engage with it. and You've got to make sure it's taken care of. That's the whole idea of managing. You've got to rule over. Take dominion, one translation says. You've got to be in charge. Now, ruling is active. It is not passive. You can't rule passively. You rule actively, you engage, you give attention to, you, you, you put your efforts, your energies, your enthusiasm and your heart into it. It's, it's an action that you do. It's a part of how you extend yourself in management. Now, let me say this. A lot of people are always living with a need for a miracle because they haven't learned how to manage their life. I will tell you something. When you learn to live by God's management principles, you don't need as many miracles. Now, I'm all in favor of miracles. I mean, you know, we all need some miracles, right? From time, right? Okay. I'm my hands. Gone. I need miracles from God. But if I will manage my life well, I don't have to have as many miracles from God because I'm learning how to live God's way. See, the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness wandering for 40 years, they had to have a miracle every day to eat, Right? If God doesn't give us manna today, man, we're sunk, okay? It's over. There's no food on the table unless God rains down manna today. And so every day they needed a miracle. But when God led them into the promised land, you know what happened to the manna? The manna stopped coming down, and God says, now that you're in the land, I want you to plant. I want you to grow. I want you to establish farms. I want you to learn how to manage the land. I want you to learn how to bring out some produce from where I've planted you. And you've got to work with your hands and do this, and if you will work together with me, God says, I will bless you in the land of promise, but it involved engagement on their part, and so they were no longer living daily on a miracle, they were learning to live by daily management. There's a really big difference in your life when you choose to say, these are my responsibilities, I have to manage them. I'm responsible for managing them. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be, what's the word there? Faithful. Faithful. It goes back to that point, faithful being in charge. And an active role, it's not passive, it's, it's active, and it involves a faithful heart. Thirdly, God measures management performance in two basic ways. What are they? Faithful or unfaithful. Now, usually if you get an employee review on your job, it has lots of different things on it. God's employee review, if you will, has two things, faithful, unfaithful. I'll show you this here in Luke chapter, chapter 12. It says, the Lord asks, who then is the faithful, skilled Manager, You see that? Faithful, skilled manager. What's God looking for? A faithful, skilled manager. That the master will put in charge of giving the other servants their share of food at the right time. That servant will be blessed if his master finds him doing the job when he comes. I can guarantee this truth. He will put that servant in charge of all his property. On the other hand, that servant may think that his master is taking a long time to come home. The servant may begin to beat the other servants and to eat, drink, and get drunk. His master will return at an unexpected time. Then his master will punish him severely and assign him a place with unfaithful people. Do you notice that there are two categories here? The faithful and the unfaithful. And part of what you want to be in life is you want to be faithful. Why should we desire to be faithful? We should desire to be faithful because God is faithful. Amen? God is faithful always. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. You know that God is always faithful? Anybody today want to raise your hand and testify across our campuses that God has been faithful in your life? He's been faithful in my life. God has never failed me, not one time. Now, there are times I thought he was failing me, but when I look back on it later, he wasn't failing me at all. He was proving his faithfulness to me, even when I did not agree with his methods. You ever disagree with God's methods? Of course you do. But God always proves himself faithful through the process of your life because that is who he is. God cannot be anything other than uh, other than faithful because in his very essence, in his nature, there is faithfulness. And so God says, I want you to be I want you to be like me. I want you to be faithful. That is when I see God never, if you will, looks at his responsibilities as God and says, I don't want to do it today. I don't feel like it. God says I, I, God never says, you know, I'm tired of running that universe. You know, I'm just going to let it. I'm going to take a break for a day, okay? God never does that. There's this consistency of faithfulness in who God is and God says he, he always does his duty as God. Amen. And He expects the same out of us. It's a choice that you and I make day in and day out, not by what we feel with our emotions or what the seasons might call to up and down, but day in and day out, as God is faithful, we make the decision, I will be faithful consistently as well. Now, will there be moments that you fail? Yes, there will be, because all of us are human beings. We are not God. We are human beings. But as soon as we realize we're not doing our duty, the best thing we ought to do is get back on track again say, God, forgive me. I want to be more like Like you, God is faithful. He calls you and I to be faithful. One of the greatest decisions, listen, one of the greatest decisions you will ever make in your life is whatever God gives you in the moment, whatever God puts in your hand right now, whatever the responsibilities are, the opportunities are, the gifts are that God has given you right now to say, I'm going to do my best with what God has given me. That is the key to every dimension of promotion in your life. I could take you to, to a person after person in the Bible that, that both did that or failed to do that and show you the link between that and success in life. Success, do you want a successful life, a victorious life? One of the most important decisions you will ever make that Eli failed to make, and it cost him because of it, is the decision to say, I'm going to be faithful, I will do my duty. Passivity no more in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Passivity no more in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen? Neglect no more in Jesus' name. Whatever God has given me, I'm going to do my duty toward it. Would you pray with me right now? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We're so grateful, Lord, that you're speaking to our hearts and to our lives today, Lord, about doing our duty. You've called us to be faithful as you're faithful. God, sometimes, oftentimes, we fail that. But Lord, we're asking that you would forgive us and you'd help us to get a fresh start today. I pray that we would, where we've been neglecting things in our relationship with you, that you would help us to get back on track today. Where we've been neglecting things in our relationships with other people, you'll help us, to, Lord, to address that. Where we've been neglecting things in our responsibilities that you've given us, whether it be on our jobs, our homes, our finances, whatever it might be, I pray that you'll help us to get back on track with these things. Help us, God, today by the power of the Holy Spirit to choose to be what Eli was not, Help us to choose to do our duty and choose to be faithful. And We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention His name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner, and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ.